Welcome to Zero Ambitions, uh, the podcast about decarbonizing buildings and about the probably the futility of, of trying to get to zero. Uh, but, you know, we'll try. God, it's a bit dispiriting after last week's mother. Sorry, I was ill, but I'm on editing duties and I can't let it go. It's a podcast about sustainability, the built environment, and zero carbon goals. Sorry, I had to think for a second on that. It is zero carbon goals. Um, anyway, um, today we are uh, blessed to have as a guest uh, somebody I count as, as, as a friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Shane Coakley um, uh, of what, the University College Dublin uh, and the University of Ulster. A bit of an academic wheeler-dealer, I guess you'd have to call him. You know, um, Somebody who uh, has a particular speciality um, uh, for a good period of time now in post-occupancy evaluation of buildings. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for joining us today, Shane. Jeff, it's a privilege, absolute privilege. And I uh, thanks, one, for doing this podcast, the Zero Ambitions podcast. It's a great thing to be involved in. And two, thanks for the invitation to be here. Privilege. You, you won't be saying that in an hour's time. Um, <laughs> so um, the reason we wanted to have you on, um, myself and Alex were talking about this. It's Alex and myself today. Dan is, is under the weather, so he's he's uh, he's been given a, a day pass, or whatever. Um, but um, the reason we wanted to have you on, Shane, today um, is because of the uh, piece that we I saw on LinkedIn that our erstwhile co-host Duncan Smith shared um, uh, about the Scottish passive house regulations that are that are on the way and this this scottish equivalent of passive house so there was a piece which we'll we'll share in the show notes written by a couple of lawyers an interesting piece um talking about this policy um and while it was you know i think broadly welcoming the policy um it raised uh the issue of cost uh, of the cost of, of building to this standard um and um my, I, you know, with, without wanting to um, to be too curmudgeonly about this, um, you know, uh, I kind of had that feeling of, oh, here we go again, um, because we've been down this path many times over the years, dealing with uh, with costs um, and dealing with um, with uh, a focus on construction costs specifically. Now, I'm not talking about um, about getting into the realm of of uh, cost benefit analysis, where you're looking at where you're talking about justifying extra costs um, upfront. On the basis of uh, reduced running costs and, and, and other kind of benefits um, o- over time, um, but Shane is somebody who's particularly interesting to have on uh, in this regard because Shane, uh, among other uh, pieces of really important research on low energy buildings, has uh, completed a couple of studies um, where uh, you reviewed um, uh, the in detail, the cost of building to the passive house standard against the cost of building to building regulations. Should, I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess the first thing to probably do is talk about uh, the the earlier of the studies. The, there was one done um, on a project in in, in Estoril. Alex, you you jump in there, Alex. Just a quick one, maybe um, if Shane, yeah. you could uh, introduce yourself. Uh, I'm as well. sorry, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. Shane, tell us who you are. Yeah, and what and what and why you're here. <laughs> well, why I'm here, I don't know. We'll, we'll see as time evolves and uh, the interview uh, progresses. Yeah. So, who am I? I'm um, I'm an energy research consultant, really. 
uh, and I work part-time as research fellow and senior research fellow in Ulster University and in University College Dublin. And I also have my own consultancy firm, Energy Expertise Limited. Okay. And this all works, you know, with this the, the split personality and these multiple personalities because it's always in the one area. And I did a uh, my doctorate in the Passive House Standard and applying that with renewable energy and energy storage in temperate maritime climates. So that's what I've been doing since, I don't know, 2007. I started the, the PhD, finished in 2011, and I've been working in the area since. But I was coming from industry, and really it's about something that works and trying to figure out does it work and how does it work and using data in order to, to, to understand things. So my background is a chartered engineer, principally in, in, um, in electronic engineering and in telecommunications. And I transitioned over after the PhD into this fantastic world of, of energy and, and uh, passive house. But uh, on my way, you know, as head of IT in, in both on Ireland and chief technology officer for uh, Ireland or Europe's first internet only bank. Um, and it was about really, I'd, I'd done an MBA and it was about this transition between technology and business. So I suppose that's a long way of introducing myself, but I suppose it's it's pertinent really in that, similar to yourself, I was besotted by this passive health standard and saying, well, you know, this just makes so much sense. And when I was doing the PhD, we were really about just trying to get a proxy for the buildings that we're going to be building in the future because we're going to be building low energy buildings for sure. So how do you study them? Well, you take something that's, out there, a formula that really works as a proven to work, and you apply that then. And that's what I applied to the temperate maritime climate and uh, looked at energy storage in combination with renewable energy. And I've been looking at it in all sorts of different ways in terms of the energy balance, the carbon, looking at it then in terms of costs. And this is something that I really want to just understand. I mean, um, does it work financially? How does it work financially in our building regulations? What is the extra cost in Northern Ireland's building regulations? What's the extra cost? And I suppose that's why that's why you were specifically interested in in um, talking this time around, yeah. Well, this is it, and we'll have lots of reasons to have you on. You know, this won't be the one run or such that we get um, because so much of the research that you that you're doing in different related areas uh, is pertinent to, to, to the podcast. Um, but it's this particular issue. I just I just feel that the issue of construction cost needs to be tackled um, and um, uh getting people to to share the level of detail you know uh kind of fully costed um figures um on uh on buildings classified standard for instance and and finding uh otherwise identical homes that's the tricky that's a really tricky part because people often don't compare apples it's like um i remember uh when we were lobbying for the delirio sound policy um Mark Keenan in the Irish Independent, I think it was, and uh, Tom Halpin, the, the uh, uh, sorry, Tom Parlin, for, forgive me, but, um, Tom Parlin in the Construction Industry Federation, um, yeah, uh, uh, re- repeating this line that um, that um, passive house is a, is is like a is like a Mercedes, and but um, but most people don't want a Mercedes or can't afford a Mercedes. They they you know they want to afford. Monday or whatever I don't know you know um probably I don't know much about cars right it's probably discontinued 20 years ago who knows um but um the point was that um that to me felt very misleading because um you know yes there are very expensive passive houses being built um but 
they're the kinds of buildings if you stripped away the passive house element of them they'd still be very expensive buildings um because they're where, where the clients are sparing no expense on materials on architecture um and you know so so in other words you might have a, a passive house certified uh beautiful uh, uh timber frame uh timber alley clad uh window um uh but you know uh, a lot of the elements of what make that window so expensive are nothing to do with uh with uh, its thermal performance you know um so uh the project that that started it off in terms of 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 construction costs was what uh, it was it was a project it was Madeira Oaks in Wexford isn't that right that's it and you're absolutely right in terms of Tom Harland my blood started boiling when I was just listening to the radio uh, and it was, it was an RTUs and you know sort of 11 o'clock in the morning big audience and he was saying exactly that but you know passive house yeah it's all very well but look it's far too expensive and these things cost an extra 50,000 euro and you know sort of they're, they're, they're Rolls Royce you know sort of people can't afford this you know think of the ordinary man and this Mondeo you know and, and what are you talking about you're talking about? you should know better you know, you're very influential. And I went on and looked for a writer reply uh, and ended up on RTE two days later on the same program, John work And uh, uh, I let them know that, in fact, it was €130 Euro extra well, to build the go. Passive House standard compared to the pertaining building regulations, which aren't as good as they are now, actually, because they're upgraded again, you know, since then. These houses were built on the Madeira Oaks in 2017. 2018 and the bill and regs then were, were upgraded again you know where, where does this misconception sorry where does this misconception come from uh, i'm interested because i'm not as uh, up to date as as both of you so um I, i've got the privilege of asking the the, the more dumb questions but where, where did it all start to think that passive house is so expensive and why does it continue to be a uh, a belief you know it, it, but it does go back to this thing about the mercedes it absolutely okay. goes back to that image of this is the best and you know somebody were most passive houses i think at the start were pretty much built as a house for life you know you, you want the ultimate you know you want the the i don't know the swimming pool and you want it to be you know three times larger than you, you actually need and of course yeah passive house yeah i want that as well i want this to sort of okay. be uh tick in the box um, but of course, you, you find that some passive house consultants won't actually build that house for you. They won't design it for you because you don't need all of this extra space, you know, so it goes against the ethos. Um, <laughs> because the ethos actually, and this is true, yeah, you know, um, but the, the ethos, Alex, goes back to this guy doing his PhD back in the mid 80s, uh, Wolfgang Feist, and he got, his, he got his doctorate out of it because he said, if we do this right, what we're going to end up with is we're going to end up with a building that has really good indoor air quality, is really, really comfortable, and uses air um, as the heat transport mechanism around the house. Mm -hmm. And if you're bringing this fresh air in and heating it, and you can heat the house with that, but then actually you don't need a heating system. So you can eliminate the heating system, the traditional heating system, your gas boiler or your oil fire boiler with the radiators, all of it goes. And he had a very famous graph in his PhD where he was sort of looking at if you bring the energy down that's required per square meter to such a level that you have 10 watts per meter squared as the load. Well, then looking at the, the specific specific heat capacity of air and the amount of air that you need to put into the house in order to keep the air fresh for the specific number of people that are allowed, you know, per square meter, if you like. Well, then 
you've got a formula which says when you're ventilating the house, you're heating it. Mm -hmm. And you can remove the cost of a traditional heating system. Now, you do need to put in the cost of this heat recovery ventilation system and the system to heat the air. But he says, if you bring it down to this 10 watts per meter square, the specific heat capacity of air times the amount of air needed for good indoor air quality means you can just eliminate the, the heating system. So I don't know where this thing came from, Alex, in terms of that passive house is all more expensive. It was designed for good indoor air quality, comfort, irrespective of the climate. And in doing so, this formula came in in terms of eliminating the heating system so the costs go down. And that was done beautifully down in Madeira Oaks. So traditionally what has happened um, for people that don't know Passive House, in my opinion, and Jeff, you know, sort of, you, you'd, you'd be well more familiar with this than I would, where, you know, you go out and you have a look at all sorts of implementations of Passive House. But in my own, I suppose, um, experience, builders are risk averse. The last thing they want to do is build a house and then find that, you know, the heating system isn't working. So it's all very well, this crowd over in Germany saying, well, you don't need a heating system. Ah, look, you need to put in the heating system because, you know, if there are any problems, you're on the line and you're going to have to put in a heating system retrofit it, cost you a fortune. You, so stay well clear. So do it to passive house, tick the box, but put in the heating system anyway. And then is the passive house more expensive? Of course it is. Because you've absolutely overspecced it. And the difference that um, Madeira Oaks made was that here was a bog standard 103 square meter semi-detached uh, dwelling down in, in Enniscorpi, built by a builder, Michael Bennett, who knew what he was talking about. He had a quantity surveyor who actually had gone into this in, in big detail. And they had built passive houses before and they had put in traditional heating systems. And now they were looking at it to do it as cost effectively as possible. So what they did was they put in, and this is a specific heating system, it's the Compact P uh, made by Neelan. And that system is the heart and lungs in that it uses all of the advantages that you should get with Passive House in that you're eliminating the traditional heating system. You're ducting air through this, what looks like a, a large fridge. And that air has been distributed around the building and it's taking out the stale air and it's going in through this fridge-like structure again in order to extract the heat from it. And that goes in. So the extra heat that you need is provided by heating the air over and above whatever the 18 degrees that it's at after you recover the heat from the, the outgoing air. Um, and you can add it up to 40 degrees. Because so heat pump effectively. And they did it in a very... Very, you, you know the system, Jeff. They did it in yeah. a really cute way in that what they said was when the outgoing air is warm, you extract the last bit of heat from that and you use the exhaust air as your source for heating. And that does for domestic hot water and it does it for, for the, the air that's transported around the house as well. And um, so they've extracted it. It's customized for a passive house. And if you use that formula, what the lads found was, sure, they had to put in, and this is compared to the previous building right now, sure, they had to put in extra money in windows, and they had to put in extra money in, um, uh, they had to put in extra money in uh, the thermal envelope, and they had to do more insulation, uh, and the substructure had to be insulated better, you know, the, the foundations. But 
it can save money in terms of the ventilation and heating. So this box replacing the, the traditional heating system. And they also saved money. And this is where I suppose they they knew what they were talking about. They said, look, if we don't have to put an oil um, tank out in the garden and pipe it in and then put piping around the house for radiators from the boiler, and if we eliminate, well, you can't have a, you can, but you don't want to have a, a stove in a passive house, just overheats. So yeah. they said, well, if we can get rid of the, the fire, well, then we can get rid of the chimney. And then our build is much simpler. So you save money on first fix and second fix and all that mess. And, and you build it quicker because people don't have to wait for the plaster to dry or for the, you know, sort of the, the first and second fix. It extends the, the period, uh, which means that you don't need the scaffolding for as long. You don't need insurance for as long. You don't need all these overheads, which the quantity surveyors call prelims. So you're actually you're saving money on that. And when you add up all the pluses and negatives associated with building this house to the passive house standard compared to the prevailing building regulations, the difference is 130 euro. Well, John, there's your formula. So and they have back to the and very PV principle as of well. passive house. But didn't they have PV in there that they didn't need, strictly speaking? Correct. So it Correct. would have been cheaper if they had if they'd removed that. No, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't include oh, you didn't count that. in the oh, you didn't count. In okay, so okay, okay. I shouldn't be asking for too much. <laughs> 130 quid, I think we can manage. Yeah. Honestly. You know? But you know, do you know, do you know the difference? They were able to do that because they knew what they were at. They built before to the passive yeah. standard. They trusted it. Yeah. And that's the difference. If we're looking to move the whole industry towards passive house, like touch wood, the will over in, in Scotland, and uh, there's going to be resistance, there's going to be fear, there's going to be anxiety, there's and they're right to fear this because yeah. it will cost them more because they don't know what they're doing and they have to pay for their education. Michael, Michael Bennett yeah. is, uh, is what we, I, I don't know if this term is universal or if it's just Irish, but he's cute, you know, as builders go. And, and I mean that in the best possible way. He's just, yeah, you know, he's got this astuteness to him. He's, uh, he's a great negotiator, I think, on price as well. Um, uh, and his QS is his QS uh, in, in that regard. Um, Seamus Mullins, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, I just, and I think what's what makes him such a kind of jarring and interesting example is that he's like, you know, he, he's the antithesis of what you'd expect as a kind of a. a um, he 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 doesn't come across like a a tree hugger, you know, like he's. Um, He's upstanding man in the community in in Wexford. He's uh, he was a local construction industry federation rep. Um, yeah. He you know uh, involved in the chamber of commerce and all this kind of stuff. You know, um, um, so to have this kind of message coming from somebody who seems like one of them <laughs> yeah. is is even harder to kind of to get rid of. You know, I think in yeah. some ways, you know. Um, uh, but 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 those figures are just are just extraordinary. And of course, the question here is the, the key thing you're saying is that this was against the 2011 version of the Irish Building Regulations, which were mm. pretty pretty progressive compared to so, some other markets. Um, so uh, because the other thing, a pet hate of mine when people talk about extra costs is that they don't talk about what they're actually in detail, what they're comparing against. You know, we had in our building regulations at the time a requirement to make them 60% more energy efficient than uh, the 2005 standards. And that meant things like, uh, oh, there was also a mandatory renewable energy target, it was 10 kilowatt hours per square meter per annum at the time. Um, 
and uh, airtightness testing was required and so on. So that meant that a lot of the kind of costs that, that would have been required to build to, to Passive House were kind of baked in, you know, um, yep. maybe spent in the wrong places, in, in, in perhaps, you know, um, but they were baked in anyway. So the second study, this uh, uh, the, the the Northern Irish one that you did, uh, uh, that that's more recent, and that's that was framed against what less ambitious regulations. Yeah, that was a challenge. Mm. That was a challenge, and if you look actually at um, what happened in in um, the building regulations, so it went from a sixty percent improvement over a forty percent improvement. Um, and then the last iteration of the building regulations went to a 70% improvement. And then actually, so these are the current building, right? Then you're actually at the same level of insulation as is required in a passive house. So all the people that were lobbying to get, you know, their kit in, you know, the insulation, the windows, the heat pump, you know, the PV, um, this was all baked into the building regulations. But now actually you're in a situation where, exactly as you're saying, you've spent the money anyway on the kit. The differentiator now is eliminating thermal bridges, which just is a bit of design, and making it airtight, which is a very small bit of product, but again is about design and it's about built quality. Yeah. So what you find is the formula now is, you know, to build a house, you put in this level of insulation. That's the same as passive house. The only delta really is the knowledge. And who lobbies for that? You've got all the kit manufacturers lobbying in order to get their kits sold and bedded into the building. Who lobbies to increase the building regulations or in, in, in terms of quality? Nobody. Nobody wants to take this on. It's just giving them a, a stick to beat themselves with. Um, and that's where the likes of yourself, that's where the likes of the Passive House Association of Ireland, that's where, the, you know, and you've got people who are thought leaders in DIT and UCD and, you know, the college is sort of saying, guys, look, wake up, you know, there's a real opportunity here to have a step change at zero additional cost. And the benefits are multiple. And I mean, sorry, Alex. Just just to be, just so I'm clear in my head, the the cost that you mentioned there is once we factor in the the savings or is it just literally the the cost of, of installation? It really is just the cost of building the thing, the house, obviously. Wow. Okay. It's literally exactly just construction it. costs. Because, yeah. Because what I was wondering is that I, I presume that a lot of contractors are already still thinking or that doing this is going to be expensive. I mean, I remember even you, Jeff, I think you mentioned when we first started this, that it was 15% extra to build a nope, passive house. I never said that. Never you never said, said that. that. Fair enough. There, there are people who say that. <laughs> but there are people. But I, I was aware of this. I mean, I've been, um, when we first wrote about Madeira Oaks, um, you know uh, that that was a, it was a great antidote uh, to those kinds of arguments. It can, it's look the cost question is a tricky one um, because for all the kind of reasons that we've just been discussing, um, it can cost a lot more. It can, um, but if you know what you're doing um, and if you're brave about it, um, it needn't cost anything extra at all. And I should say as well, the other dimension that we haven't taken account of with Madeira Oaks. Um, uh, what Michael Bennett did in that case, he had a phase of these homes that were built, you know, uh, in planning secured for them, uh, built to the building regulations, right? With all the kit in required to comply with the building regulations. So they had the stove, the boiler, the, the radiators up, downstairs and upstairs, not many of them, I don't think, but, but some radiators downstairs and upstairs. Um, 
the solar thermal panels to comply with the uh, renewable energy requirement time um, and a ventilation system. Um, he's probably he probably didn't need a mechanical ventilation system, strictly speaking, then. Um, but you know, you're on a hiding to nothing when you build low energy buildings and don't put one in. He would have known that that um, you'd have too many callbacks if he if you put if you relied on natural ventilation, um, which would have been cheaper for him to build. So he was already building slightly better than 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 it's possible to build because I guess he didn't want the hassle of people complaining about about um, condensation problems in the homes. Now with the regulations, you're effectively required to do mechanical ventilation in Ireland um, under, under the new regs. Um, so, uh, but the point was that. The, the missing ingredient here is what he did was he, he took those designs and then switched that that pre-ordained design to passive house. What he didn't do was go back to the drawing board because he didn't want to go back to planning, I guess, you know. Um, and uh, I mean, the, the software PHPP, I don't think it could be just a poor translation. I don't know, but I don't I don't think it is. It's called the passive house planning package. Right. Um, and. I think there's something in that. In other words, what you have to do uh, to get this stuff right for first principles and consequently to help reduce costs is considerate from first principles. So um, what that means in this case, for instance, um, is to think about the form factor. Think, think about the surface area to, to volume ratio of the building. If you were designing those buildings from, from inception as passive houses, um, while you have other concerns, of course, you know, uh, you can't just aim to meet this target and, and not think about the, uh, the utility of the building or, or the nature of the site and so on, you know, um, um, like you're not going to have tiny north facing windows if you've got a great view to the north, you know, those kinds of considerations have to come into it as well. Um, uh, you would be making the building more compact or you would be, you would be trying to make the, the building more compact if you're designing it as a passive house because it's cheaper to, sorry, because it's easier to meet the targets in passive house if it's more compact, right? So consequently, that means less materials. It means less surface area of, 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 of wall, roof or whatever, you know, um, uh, compared to the volume that you need in terms of the, inter, inter, the internal floor area. Um, so, uh, so, so uh, you know, I think my my point is, I think I think you could. I mean, they're pretty compact houses, Madeira Oaks, to be fair. But I think I think they 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 could have the cost could have been brought lower potentially if it had been brought in from from uh, from inception. You know, for sure, for sure. You know, the form factor was good. They didn't have dormer windows. You know, so they they were actually starting in an all right place. Yeah, but you're right. If you were starting out. From scratch, with the intention of building to the passive house standards, you could do it cheaper. You could do it cuter. <laughs> now, in, in, in fairness, what he's done is um, he just took what he had in planning permission and went and implemented it the passive house way. Uh, but equally, you know, sort of, uh, he was conscious when he was building it that he wanted to reduce costs, and I think he actually he did that really well. Uh, and then the question is. If you did start off with a clean slate, what could you do? And so I was working in Ulster University in Northern Ireland, and I was doing some uh, some work with a number of companies up there uh, that are in the passive house space, uh, satanic construction, being one, Paul McAllister Architects. Uh, did you say satanic construction or satanic construction? <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark Rubin wouldn't, wouldn't thank you for that. Then. <laughs> 
satanic construction. No, it just sounded um, like that. It genuinely did. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> satanic construction, uh, Mark Gribben and uh, Paul McAllister Architects, both of them sort of strong in the pacifist big. Gareth Quinn um, from his own company, GP uh, Developments. Uh, and these were companies that were sort of saying, well, how do we make this work in Northern Ireland? So we took the formula of the Compact P, you know, the building regulations in the South, and we apply that to a three-bed semi in Northern Ireland, a very similar um, structure as the one that was down in Madeira Oaks, uh, because these lads are well used to building those houses. And the question is, you know, how, how do you tweak it? How do you improve it? How do you get this uh, passive house to work financially? And we tried everything. Um, but this was two years ago, three years ago, and the building regulations were different. And the building regulations were poor. Mm. You know, they were they were worse than our building regulations that we had upgraded to get to the... Um, well, they had no government. They? They... Do you know? And that's what... <laughs> they were starting there, and that was fine. But when we applied all these principles and we upgraded the insulation and we did the thermal bridging and detailing and um, put in the Passive House certified products... You know, we brought it to £5,088 more expensive to build a three-bed, 104-square-metre semi-detached house in Northern Ireland to the building regulations that were prevailing right up to April of last year. So, you know, the extra cost was only just over £5,000. But when we did that, we said, but the building regulations are going to change. They're going to have to change. Mm. And there was work underway at the time, and we said that the most likely is that the building regulations from England would be deployed. So we did the analysis for that as well. And I said, if the legs are cut from under us in the middle of this and you move to the new building regulations, how much extra would it cost then? Mm. And we came up with this figure of £1,984. And when you say we came, that's that, that's not just just to be, to be clear about what you mean by when we came up with this figure. This is yeah. not you just you know plucking something out of uh, of thin air. You know, um, this is this was this a five month project with a with a quantity got, of air. Where you've got architects, we brought in Thomas O'Leary as well from from um, uh, Passive House Academy um, and Moss Art actually. Um, we had the builder. Uh, we had uh, Gareth Quinn working on it as well in terms of developer, and, and we brought in a quantity surveyor. So this was a very considered project team in terms of extracting the last that we possibly could in terms of any advantage that the Passive House would bring. And here was a guy costing it and coming back and said, this is where you're at, lads. And we were going back again to sort of say, well, where can we shave off another bit? And you know, how can we bring it down? Um, so the quantity surveyor, uh, the charter surveyor, uh, came up with this figure. Um, with me now, look, I've got an MBA. I'm not shy in terms of, of figures. I'm, I'm numerous, you know, an engineer. Yeah. But this is something that's specific, a specific skill. Um, yeah. And when we did it with him, I thought, wow, we're really onto something here. But even in the context of poor building regulations, the cost is marginal. Yeah. And this is going back to your point, Alex. Um, these, again, are just purely costs. <laughs> the benefits... If you build the passive house standard compared to the the prevailing building regulations now, and uh, particularly the previous ones, are massive, and that was the subject of another paper where we quantified those 
And I know that Jeff doesn't particularly want to get into that. On, on no, I, it's not that I don't want to. I just I, my fear is when something like this comes along, when a, a debate like this comes along, right, about a, a, a policy to try and make to build deposit pairs, whatever. Um, uh, we get sucked into uh, too quickly into talking about justifying an increase in cost, right? Um, uh, um, in you know, in the, uh, to in order to unlock a benefit, right? Um, and if you make it all about the benefits, it's like you're con- you're conceding the point on cost. Um, Very good point. Um, and I think that's a real strategic kind of error um, uh, because uh, I think it's it's clear from the evidence that you that you're showing. Um, that uh, that the costs can be the cost differences can be absolutely negligible. Um, and uh, I mean the, the the other thing when you talk about quantity surveyors, it's really interesting here is that this is one of the without wanting to malign a whole profession. Um, um, it's one of the stumbling blocks that you hear routinely raised in the context of of uh, stifling low energy building or or sustainable building, finding QSs. Who won't immediately recoil when you propose doing something different, um, and uh, you know, uh, seeing massive cost inflation as a consequence, um, that can be really tricky. The, the, the you know there are mm. some I know a couple I know a couple of QSs who who uh, I mean I wouldn't say they're they're they they've kind of drunk the pacifist Kool Aid or anything like that. It's not about that. It's it's that they've um they they've been really diligent uh, and interested enough in, in in looking at alternatives that they have not just relied on, I guess, on, on, on the information that they know more. And uh, don't get me wrong, there's lots of, of, of fantastic QSs out there, I suppose. But it's that thing of dealing with the unknown. Uh, in this case, did you get the sense that the QS was uh, uh, involved in this project, had drunk the Kool-Aid, or were they um, uh, agnostic? He was a great guy, because he was such about the numbers. Yeah. And you crunch the numbers. That's your design, Grant. That's the cost. And then we were recoiling and saying, God, we have to do better. And how do we do better? And so this iterative design process worked really well. But just to be clear, uh, I, I work with the QS as well. In um, So Seamus Mullins was the QS for Michael Bennett. Yeah. But for that analysis, I brought in another QS from Waterford Institute of Technology oh, at did. the time to go through the numbers. I said, are we right here? Is this, you know... Are we on the money here? Is this correct? And he signed off on it as well. Um, and, you know, sort of the, the QS, like, he calls himself, a, a, I don't know what the difference is, a, um, a chartered surveyor in um, in Northern Ireland. I don't know what the difference is between the QS and the chartered surveyor. I mean, I, I, I think they're all chartered. Uh, uh, we have SCSI in the Republic. This is how it's yeah. chartered surveyors of Ireland, I think it is, isn't it? Um, so, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, just but anyway, they were doing the same job. They were the, the figures guys for the, the build, um, and both of them were happy and signed off and sort of said, yeah, those figures are correct. So yeah. I mean, it goes back to the point that you're, that you're making, Jeff. Let's not dilute it. There are so many benefits, multiple benefits, financial, you know, software benefits, health benefits, economic benefits. If you're just looking at costs, the costs stack up. Yeah. Because zero compared to the building regulations in the south. And the extra cost really that was coming in for the building regulations in the north is because you had to put in PV if we were to comply with the 2012 SAP regulations. So again, you know, to comply with the regs, you had to have PV. We didn't have PV in terms of our, our um, 
our solution before that. But still, look, take the hit. It was coming in at two thousand pounds extra, one thousand nine hundred and eighty-four minimum. So, so what's what's it going to take to make passive house mainstream? And I know policy is one of the big drivers. So I, I want to sort of already get that one out of the way. But when you know, when you hear, you look at your research, and you say it's that that difference is so tiny. Why is it? that contractors are not just all jumping on the bandwagon going this is obviously clearly great even just from a pr perspective building homes that have all these comforts and all these other co-benefits it seems to make sense so how long is it going to take to become mainstream and that everyone's going to go well yeah that's normal of course i should be building passive house alex that is such a good question and you know jeff and myself and the other people that are involved in passive house and so yeah it's just obvious Mm. why would you not do this. This is wrong. And you know something? It's 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 the construction industry federation on Prime Radio sort of saying this costs an extra X. You know, it's lobbying. People, I totally underestimated the amount of vested interests in keeping things exactly the same and saving pennies mm-hmm. on construction costs to increase profit. Uh, and Jeff knows that really well. Jeff did Trojan work with Donnery at Down, bringing people, bringing the councillors along, showing them, look, this is what we're talking about. These are the costs. You know, these are people that are living in the houses. This, These are the benefits. We think this is a really good idea. We've analysed it all, you know, lots of different ways. And and the councillors all decided, yeah, yeah, we should, yes, we should do this. And they voted uh, by a majority to implement the Passive House Standard in Donnery at Down. Get this. The CEO of Dunleary Rattown came back to the councillors and said, no, look, you know, we've looked at this before and we want you to reconsider. Uh, Alan Kelly, the Department of the Environment, the Minister yeah, of the, the Environment, yeah, yeah. wrote to the councils and said, it's our job to set building regulations. You're not allowed to do this. You know, this is political. It's nakedly, you know, sort of political in nature, but I couldn't get over it because... This is the same guy who's responsible for hitting our emissions targets. You know, this makes no sense. Yeah. And then what happened? They went back to the councillors and said, you know, look, on balance, this isn't a good idea. We want you to reconsider. And then they came back with a, a three to two majority or three to one majority. So, yeah, look, we've thought about it as well. We really want this to happen. And what happened? Nothing. I mean, it's in it's in the development plan. Um, and it's, some projects have gone ahead. You know, uh, some big have. things have gone ahead because of Shangana being the, probably the case in point. This Which is a great one. 600 odd unit one. But um, uh, what happened in the end was when it came in, uh, the minister, uh, one, or rather one of his officials on his behalf, I think, um, uh, senior planning advisor, wrote to the CEO of the Lirat Down saying that the attorney general uh, was looking into it for the government. The attorney general. <laughs> um, and that the, the, the that the, the local authority would be uh, advised to uh, get their own legal advice before they implemented it. So it's there in the development plan. Um, and uh, we have this attitude uh, in Ireland. I remember many years ago um, asking an official in the Department of, of uh, Environment um, about implementation of a, a regulation that I'd lobbied for on the advertising of, of, of building energy ratings. Um, uh in um newspapers and and uh, online uh, listings and so on and the 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 day had 
the deadline they had passed for this to be implemented. And yet I could see from going on the websites, the property websites that, uh, that it, you know, uh, one of them hadn't set up at all to allow people to add BERs, the, the energy rating. And the other one had very, very poor compliance. And I went to the official responsible for implementing this. And he said, Jeff, you have to remember in Ireland, we have a very culturally relaxed attitude to the law. <laughs> um, and this is the guy, I, I, it's, it's weird. It's like it's some residue of, uh, of, of, uh, you know, the British colonial rule, I think, you know, that people are, are resisting. Trying to get away with things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so there, there is that. And I can, I think there's, there's kind of a sense of that here as well. You know, we have a, uh, a requirement here, a planning requirement, which is there in the development plan, but we're going to choose to ignore it, you know, because we'll get in too much trouble from our boss because the minister for the environment uh and they've changed they've renamed the the, the, the you know uh, the department since then but the minister for the environment was also the minister for local government so he was their boss you know yeah uh, which, which which creates difficulty but to t- just to, very quickly on your point alex i think the critical thing for here is is uh the critical ingredient is inertia um i think uh, the construction industry federation and i'm sure it's, it's the same in the uk but we looked at this very closely uh, through the magazine has a long and inglorious history of objecting to any proposed changes to building regulations. In fact, uh, uh, Lenny, our deputy editor at the time, um, found uh, a uh, an article in the, I think, the Irish Times from the, in 1978 when there were proposals to introduce building regulations um, um, in, in in response to the oil crisis. You know. Um, uh, and um, and the managing director of the of the CIF at the time, Thomas Reynolds, um, uh, objected on the basis that uh, that it would cause house prices to increase too much, you know. Um, and they didn't need to do it anyway because builders were putting insulation into buildings anyway, you know. Uh, and that those kinds of arguments have been trotted out repeatedly um, for you know forty five years. Um, so it's it's now in fairness, you know, they they're not objecting as much these days. And when when the regulations changes uh, came in, uh, you know, the national reg changes at least, um, they, they they stopped objecting, you know, and just kind of got on with it. But they will they'll have their history bits when they can, you know. I suppose there's also going to be an issue with um, sort of passive house failures as well, because they're going to be jumped upon uh, immediately by. By those the people who just don't want to see it happen, then just go well. Look, you know, this is everything that happened. I think Shane, you mentioned earlier that there's that fear that uh, you know you don't put a heating system in, or you put this innovative new system and it doesn't work, and then you have to retrofit the the, the thing at a cost uh, which is prohibitive. So that's also a problem because there's too many unknowns and people are too scared as well at the moment that they don't consider it to be. It's not business as usual to to build a passive house or, or a passive building. So it's going to be a, take a long time, I reckon, for people. To accept that firstly mistakes are going to happen um dan and i always say getting it wrong is part of the process but obviously we shouldn't but it's just things can happen you have to accept that and learn from it um but it's going to take time until people just go okay no no it does happen but actually the vast majority of them are far better and again the co-benefits are just so much better that we have to continue into in this direction rather than pushing against it you're right and you know something I wouldn't underestimate the problems that are going to be there in implementing the passive health standard in Scotland yeah. if that's what they decide to do. Um, you know, heat pumps now are de rigueur in Ireland. Um, but I'm involved in a project um, called the Mac Air project in UCD and we're going to have more monitoring heat pump performance. And before that, I was involved in the NZ101 project. When you're implementing NZ, 
you know, what are the lessons learned in the first tranche? Um, and what I'm finding is that um, industry is failing in that some of the heat pumps that were put in were put in badly. Mm, yeah. So out of a sample of 60 that we looked at, uh, I think it was three that were just installed incorrectly and people weren't able to operate them. And we were getting problems with overheating and with excessive casts. And you said, that's just a heat pump. But then, yeah, hold on. The guy that put it in was probably a plumber. And he would turn around and say, well, let me stop working. You know, talk to the electrician. And the electrician would sort of say, oh, look, you know, that's nothing to do with me. Yeah, you know, I don't know anything about that. That's... And then you're sort of, you're like, so there's for sure a learning curve. And it'll be the same with thermal bridging and it'll be the same with air tightness. And, you know, it's people, they need to be educated. They need to be brought along. And it's lots of people. It's not just innovative, dynamic companies that are building um, that can just go out and do it. It's everybody. And we, we did go in, actually. I was chairman of the Passive House Association at the time. And the guy who was there before me, um, who had been chairman, uh, went in to meet the CIF. Mm-hmm. And we said to them, look, we're here to say that, you know, sort of building regulations are going to be changing. It's obvious that it's going to go to really low energy in the future. You know, the energy performance of buildings directors, there's a trajectory there. We'd love to work with you about a strategy, and they were working on a strategy at the time to try and see well, what needs to change in order to embed this, because it's going to, it's going to happen. It's just a question of when. And they said, no, thanks. And we were sort of saying, well, he says, look, we'll build to the building regulations. We're going into the building regular. We're not going to be building to, you know, this extraneous standard or, you know. So our strategy is to build to the big regulations, and that's it. And if it's changed, well, then we'll change. But we're not, you know, we're not going to be adopting this uh, earlier or trying to drive it. Or And I think yeah. what he was thinking was he's protecting his members, you know, that would have to go out and spend money, that would be taking on extra risk as they're moving towards this low energy skill set that they need. Uh, and taking on responsibility if, if the thing isn't working. And you were saying, well, why why isn't it? It makes so much sense. But as Jeff would say, it's inertia and it's fear and it's money and it's vested interests and it's I, lobbying. I think with the CIF too, uh, obviously this won't mean that much necessarily to, to many of our UK listeners, but um, they, um, they're in a kind of strange position because... Uh, a constituent part, a significant constituent part of the CIF is the Irish Home Builders Association, um, who have very different interests to a normal contractor, like a developer builder who's, you know, acquiring land um, and then building, uh, would have a different perspective on this to a builder who's just like a, a, a hired gun, you know. Um, and it brings me actually to a point, the, the other element that I didn't want to concede on this on this cost uh, issue um, which which we um, was originally a conversation I had with uh, Professor Tom Dunn, who was the head of the Field of Construction Economics at, at what was then at, uh, Dublin Institute of Technology, now TU Dublin, um, and a former head of the Society of Chartered Engineers Ireland as well. So many years ago, when we were lobbying for higher energy standards in North Dublin and Fingal, um, we were facing these arguments about cost. And, and I got talking to Tom, and he said, actually, it's a nonsense because um, construct even if construction costs are higher. Um, even if they're a lot more than the 130 euro uh, that Shane is getting or 1500 quid or whatever it was in Northern Ireland. Um, that does not mean the total development costs increase um, because the way any developer working, if you have um, 
a requirement, if it is mandatory, um, this is one of the reasons why it's important to lock these things into building regulations, um, uh, to build to a certain level. Anyone who's looking to to bid to buy land uh, and, and to build homes, um, what they do is they work out what, what they think they're going to be able to sell the buildings for or rent them out for. They work out what kind of profit margin they're willing to accept. Um, they work out what they think it's going to cost to build them based on the building regulations, you know, um, um, or they could choose choose to, to to build to a higher standard if they if they, if they felt they wanted to. Um, um, and what's left is what they're able to bid for the land. Now, if the problem is if you end up um, uh, proposing something, if a builder wants to build something that's going to cost a lot more than building regulations. Uh, unless they're convinced they're going to be able to attract a premium for them from buyers, um, they're going to have to bid less for the land. So, so land prices increase and and construction quality decreases. Basically, that's the problem. Um, so, um, what you need is to enshrine it in building regulations to level the playing field. And the builder who can find the the, the Michael Bennetts of this world, who will find the cutest, best way of building. And by the way, I mean, it's not like he was just doing plastic They're bloody timber frame, cellulose insulated, like recycled these insulation, amazing acoustic performance as well. Um, you know, in, independently verified, uh, the acoustic performance in the party walls akin to the level you'd expect to find between two cinemas, according to the acoustic consultant. Um, you know, so that, that's the other element, develop, development costs. And, um, and yeah, of course, the caveat is there'll be some, um, some people who will have bought land, um, who, uh, who won't have factored in those extra costs, perhaps. Well, more fool them. You can't sit on land watching it appreciate in value, for instance, um, and not, uh, you know, on, on the hope that, that building regulations are not going to be progressing. Um, and I won't be crying too hard for, for, for land speculators, frankly, you know. Um, so uh, at that point, I think absolutely needs to be, to, to be tackled. I don't know, if, Shane, if it's something that you've ever... Uh, looked at in the context of your research, uh, the total development costs is a ripe area to research as well, you know? Very good point, Jeff. I mean, there's a, there's a, a case study up in Belfast in Lancaster Park with 220 homes that have been built to the low energy building passive house standard by a developer that's sitting on a land bank. Yeah. You know, Fraser Miller has that land bank, and yet they've decided that they're going to build to the passive house standard. Now it's it's passive house low energy building. Well, for the um, first ones, they're they're migrating up to full on passive house. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. That's his, that's their plan. And I was talking to John Carrigan there, uh, who's the the guy driving it on site, uh, and he was labelled a climate hero. He's gotten all sorts of awards. Um, and again, uh, not a typical climate hero. He's <laughs> just an ordinary guy, but he just gets it, and uh, he's going with this. But again, it's it's um, you know the Durkin brothers. They built 62 homes in Silicon Park and in, in City West in Dublin to the passive house stand without being asked to. Mm. Uh, and they're just purely from a business perspective that they're using this formula in order to keep costs down. And they they did all sorts of analysis and they had three QS firms looking at it and they say, yeah, this makes sense. You know, so hopefully, Alex, you know, as time goes on, this formula that's there uh, will be trotted out and will be used by builders in order to meet the building regulations. Uh, and do it in a cute way. And if they do that, well, then I think everybody benefits because the the heating costs are so much lower and the air quality is so much better that uh, touch wood, it'll it'll become a de facto standard. You know. Yes, I think I think also 
it's really important to recognize that not everyone is aware of this. It's, it is complicated, it's complex, and it is scary. And I don't think we can just point fingers and go, well, you're not doing it. I mean, some people, some organizations are definitely doing that and just ignoring the, the issue. But I, I know that from a lot of the, the research that we do just for the podcast, we know that obviously the end user, the, the people who live in these homes, they are some, a lot of people are just not even aware of the potential to live in a comfortable home. We know we all accept, I think Dan often says that in England we're, or in the UK, we accept to live in cold, drafty homes and that, and that's okay. But it's also the fact that I know, again, even from personal experience, when I was doing, I've done this, I've said this before on the podcast, but my own house doing a tiny extension, but I was already interested in using SIP panels, but I could not find um, architects that were local, knew about it, but also I was at fault because I was looking at it and going, well, that's a bit more expensive than I'm really willing to spend, et cetera, not thinking about the benefits coming ahead afterwards, et cetera. So it is a complex area. And it's yeah. it's only right that we the people are given the time to obviously to learn, but at the same time, now is the time to go out there and learn and invest and skill up, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, where we can't be waiting and dragging our feet forever and say, Oh, we can't change the regulations just yet, or oh, we have to be patient. It is really now the time that we have to do this. So I think it's good that, for example, Scotland are just jumping ahead and doing something like this. I think it will have a big impact and I think other other countries will be looking and going, oh yeah, I think we should be doing this too, hopefully. Which would. And I know that Luxembourg went down this route. And a number of years ago they decided just to build mm-hmm. to the passive house standard. Brussels had done it beforehand. But you know, they did it in a in a good way. And I mean Vancouver as well, uh, where they said, look, this is where we're going. In five years' time, everybody's going to have to build to the passive house standard. That's it. Decision made. But if you want to be an early adapter, there are grants available. Mm-hmm. And they said if you if you achieve passive health certification, well then you get a premium, you know, or you'll get a reduced development levy, or you'll get a and then all of a sudden the innovative companies they went out and they took every grant going and every financial mm-hmm. support going. But as they were doing that, they were actually educating the industry. So they were bringing people with it. The, the knowledge was was growing. Uh, so I mean the laggards, the people that sort of um, don't want to change. Building regulations will force them to change, but if you do it in a good way, you can actually have it as a virtuous circle where people are getting there before they need to and training people up and the knowledge is building. So I would hope that as that happens, Alex, as well, you know, the problems that can be associated with passive house are eliminated. And do you know something? There are problems. Like I'm doing a paper at the moment, what to me? I is in a paper at the moment where we looked at 60 houses and we measured temperature data across the houses. And you know, passive houses have to certify passive houses have to pass the overheating criterion from the mm. passive house planning package in terms of projected overheating. Uh, and they all they all did. And 37 of the houses that were analyzed are passed certified passive. Uh, but when it comes to the new building regulations that are coming in now, you have to assess it using SIBSI TM59 standard. And of the houses, uh, seven of them are overheating, according to that. Yeah, absolutely. We, we need to we, be careful. We can't be we evangelical, you know, fanboys. We can't, you know, we can't apply that kind of um, uh, thinking to these things. You have to be critical um, of all these things. Um, about the uh, yeah, yeah. And about educating people uh, and about educating people living in these homes as well, because a lot of the problems yes. could actually be solved by nighttime cooling. Just open the windows at night, purge ventilation, 
um, it's a very good architect down in, in Cork, um, John Moorhead. And when he's building passive houses, he always puts in uh, a high level window that opens automatically if the temperature goes to a certain level mm-hmm. just to purge the heat out. Yeah. These are simple things, but we just need to know about them. I know that um, the, the passive house certifiers in the UK a few years ago um, uh, on this specific issue uh, tried to reach some sort of a, an agreement whereby they'd be advising people. I think they were, they were even talking about not certifying buildings unless, because the threshold is 10% of the year above 20, uh, no more than 10, 10% of the year above 25 degrees um, is what you're permitted. Um, they uh, were looking at, at reducing that to 5%. Uh, I don't know what the Institute would have thought of that. Um, and encouraging people to get closer to zero kind of percent you know um um it's when people kind of try and sail too close to the wind i think that, that you can you can run into some of these issues and john also to his credit uses uh site-specific weather files uh which would really help too you know but, um i mean you can you can input that into phv um and you can't within the national methodology uh you can't you uh, you're stuck in ireland with um uh every house in the country is assumed to be on the runway of dublin airport i believe it is um um, but that brings me to uh, another point here, which is, you no, know, there are risks, of course, with passive house, and we'd be um, uh, completely irresponsible to uh, to neglect to mention that. But would you say that there are? Would you be would you be more concerned or less concerned about people going to passive house or um, reinventing the wheel and coming up with their own? Uh, uh, nearly zero energy building definition, for instance, um, you know, um, and, tr- and trying to do things differently, Shane, from your, from your experience. That'll be, that'll be a leading question, I think, Jeff. <laughs> 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 do you know, and that's why I, I love the passive house uh, formula, because it's tried and tested and it's been out there, and you know what you're dealing with, and you know that they can overheat. And you know that you're going to have to get the the ventilation right because they're they're airtight. And all of these problems have been, have been come across before. And even you know as we're implementing it here, uh, there are studies in the UK in terms of the extent of the overheating that you need to to be aware of. Yeah, and indeed in Scotland as well, there's a number of papers about overheating in Scottish uh, passive houses. But you have to follow the data. And you have to sort of say, well, you know, if that's the formula, well, then where is it? Where is it wrong? And where the and the formula isn't good when it comes to overheating. This is what the mm. data is saying to me. Okay. That individual rooms overheat much yeah. more than dwellings as a whole overheat. And the passive house looks at the dwelling as one as one zone. Yeah. And I don't really care if it says ten percent or five percent. Yeah. Actually, the problem is individual rooms overheating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And specifically, what I'm seeing is lots of bedrooms overheating. Okay. Because typically they're upstairs and um, you don't get cross ventilation, you know, that, that can be an issue. Uh, so we just need to be careful as we go down the route. But, you know, something, the great thing about following science is other people have been there. It's about the data. Learn from the implementations, adapt, improve, out again. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's very, that's uh, a great note to end on, Shane, actually. Um, uh, we will definitely have you back. Um, you haven't disgraced yourself this time. This time, got away with it again. Good. <laughs> I'll find you out one of these days. You know, um, uh, no, it's, it's but, a pleasure, Jeff, and thanks so much for the for the invitation. It's a real pleasure to talk with you, Alex, and I just love oh, your your um, cut to the chase. And so, yeah, I've got. Well, hold on. What about this question? 
you know, and you're talking to Jeff and myself who've been immersed in this, it's just fantastic to have that clarity and that groundedness. Thank you. That's what, that's what I enjoy. Is I, I know you guys just know so much that I can just really ask the questions and, and get you guys to make it as simple as possible. I think that's a, that's a really great way to have that conversation. But yeah, thank you so much for, for taking us through that. I was, I was just really loving just listening in, really, basically. I think I'll go back and listen to the podcast again once we publish it. Shane, is there anything you'd like us to uh, to, to flag, anything to promote? Um, you know, any websites, anything? I mean, you're a, you're a hired gun, obviously, with your own consultancy, um, separately from the university work. Um, no, thanks for that, Jeff. Do you know the way I'm, I'm so the way the way I'm, I'm sort of uh, looking at my own contribution? Everybody wants to make contributions. I get older, I just want to cut to the chase and try and make a contribution. You know, um, and the area that I'm seeing that there is a gap at the moment is in really understanding buildings. And thanks to yourself, being introduced to the guys behind the, the BUS methodology. Oh yeah, you know when I'm writing this paper now on overheating on uh, 50 dwellings throughout Ireland and finding that seven of them are overheating. That's according to the SIMSI standard. Uh, and then according to the World Health Organization standard 24, there's another answer. And then there's another answer again when it comes to the passive. It's also, if you go out and you ask people, mm. that's really where the that's really where it's at. Imagine that, having the audacity to actually speak to the great unwashed. My God. <laughs> now, what do you want? Don't do that. Oh, God. <laughs> be careful. You might find out something, actually, you know. Yeah. Get out. You don't deserve to be in a passive house. Come on, out, you know. Um, <laughs> the passive house is there to solve their problem. And if they think they've got a problem, then they've got a problem. Um, and you do get some people complaining that it's too cold in a passive house. Yeah. Now, then you ask them in terms of, well, what do you spend them in terms of your heating and spend them nothing because, you know, it's supposed to be a pacifist and the heating isn't on. Um, <laughs> but equally, you are getting people saying it's too warm. And yet, the couch beside them, there was a person sort of saying, no, this is finally a comfortable house. Yeah. So it's very much down to, I suppose, um, really trying to understand buildings. That's what I'm doing at the moment. And I think with the EU taxonomy, this is where things are going. That it's about not just building the standard but it's about understanding the buildings and the softer side so if there's any problems that are out there in terms of that realm that's the area that i'm and most that's excited one, about at the moment that's the one thing I, I wanted to mention as well when we were talking about builders and inertia um you know uh thing that's going to change all of this is uh and i know i'm hearing stories of, of ceos of what ceo of the one of the biggest developers in ireland the other day um Talking about saying saying to a consultant, um, uh, you know, we, we uh, our financiers are saying to us now. I know you're building to the NZ standard and so on, but can you show us how your buildings are actually performing? <laughs> so that is that change. There's great hope uh, to, to be found in that. Listen, Shane. Though, um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, what's left to say? I suppose. Um, uh, Dan usually does this bit, Alex. The, uh, I don't know if you want to take over from him. Who, who do we, what do we want people to do? Oh, yeah. Uh, all this kind of the toxic positivity bit. So, like and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Like only five star reviews are permitted. <laughs> and only positive uh, comments, please, as well. Only yeah. positive comments. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, talk to us about, you know, if you've got things to throw at us for the, for the magazine, for Possibus Plus, by all means, reach out, um, with, be it stories or advertising or whatever, subscribe, uh, join ACAN, 
join the Passive House Association of Ireland while you're at it, actually. That's worth mentioning. The AECB, um, there's any number of entities. And talk to us about our consultancy, Zero Ambitions Partners. Thank you very much.